up, guys? Welcome back uh, to Keeping Up um, with the Cats here um, on our podcast. Um, it's been about a, a few weeks here since the conclusion of March Madness, one of the best times of the year. Um, feels like forever ago um, already, but uh, our season did end uh, for the Wildcats in, in the Final Four. Lots to talk about um, in terms of our run in March Madness. Uh, what it means for next season, um, and just all that, uh, you know, has to do with that. So how are we doing, you guys? Doing good, doing good. Happy to be back. Um, you know, obviously, most seasons end in a loss uh, as far as March Madness goes, but uh, we have a lot to celebrate about our season and a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, tough to end the season just two days shorter than we, we wanted to, but um, – yeah, it does feel like that was just a million years ago now. Um, but the uh, time moves on, and I'm also really excited about the NBA playoffs that are that are coming up here very, very soon. For sure. So, I guess with that being said, we can uh, kick off here with talking about um, the Kansas versus uh, Villanova game in the Final Four. Um, just want to preface this by saying I thought the run that we made in March uh, was amazing. I think, um, like, you know, being on campus for that Final Four – game in the uh, pavilion was like, you know, like a top five moment of college for me. Um, you know, even though it didn't go our way, I thought it's pretty, pretty special, pretty cool to be an active college student when your team is in the final four to begin with. Uh, in the run we had, I think up to that point um, was pretty dominant. I think it was, uh, we, we kind of had, I thought 2018 vibes to where it was, was kind of dictating the pace uh, State, Michigan, I thought the confidence that we built in both of those games, we really carried that over into Houston pretty strong. I thought um, that was a game where we were the popular upset pick, but we really controlled the tempo from, from the gun, played the game at our pace. Um, and then, yeah, that Kansas game was, was uh, you know, tough to watch at some times. I think the our, like, 10-0 um, – the, uh, or the – 10-0 lead that uh, Kansas got to kick off the game I thought was pretty hard to overcome just from a momentum standpoint. I know not having more was a big thing, but, like, what were your guys' takeaways? I mean, Kansas was just on fire in that game. I, I mean, I, I do mirror kind of what you said. The, the energy on campus was definitely something that I'd, I'd never seen before during during that run. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's just a brutal way to go out when I think the team, like, played really well, like, continued to play well. And, I mean, Kansas just wouldn't miss. I mean, Egbaji was just a flamethrower. I mean, six or seven from three, it's just hard to to beat a team that's shooting 54% from three. Like, that is insane. And, you know, when a team's – it's not even like we're, we're playing that bad at defense either. I mean, I, I guess you could have qualms about, like, the way we closed out or maybe didn't stick to Egbaji as much. But, I mean, I, I know we were definitely feeling it inside a little bit, McCormick – was uh, definitely a problem. And I think if we're looking into next year as well, we're going to be once again challenged by, by a lack of height. But that's just a tough – I mean, it's just a tough game to lose when a team's playing well. If Kansas doesn't shoot just absolutely like an unconscious level of from, from the field, then this game's a coin flip at best. So I think Villanova – I mean, great performance. I think they they played to the best they possibly could at the tournament. And um, 
the picture of, of Colin Glassman and Jermaine Samuels was just absolutely heart wrenching at the uh, at the end of that game. Yeah, those guys. It's, it's going to be tough to to watch them go. Hopefully, they stay around the program. Um, I agree with you. I think the thirteen of 24, 54.2 percent from three that Kansas had has this just like almost impossible to to do anything about that. And then um, Andrew, like you said, the ten zero run. I was watching the pavilion and, you know, we were so excited right before the game started. And then once they, they went off to a tenor road, we could feel like, oh, we might actually lose this game. But then we had a shift in energy, um, you know, towards the end of the game. And But every time that we, we started to get something going, it seemed like Kansas would just nail another three. And it's like, come on. Like, I remember just taking my hat off and throwing it out the ground after Kansas hit a three. It's like, we can't get any breaks um and so at the end of the day i think the better team won um it, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if we had justin Moore on the court but um i, I if kansas still was shooting the way that they did us I, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made um always always a what if but uh, at the end of the day i think kansas just was better yeah just to add on that as well i think uh Moore's presence was the difference in the game. Um, I think losing him at the stage that we did against Houston in the last 10 minutes, we really had no, you know, time to prepare uh, for life without him with having, you know, one week between games. Um, I thought a big reason why they were able to jump out to a 10 zero lead was the lack of poise that we had in the backcourt outside of Colin. Um, you know, I think we had three or so turnovers the first like four minutes of the game taking bad shots, firing threes. Um, and then defensively, we just didn't have the, uh, you know, Jay Wright kind of, uh, uh, it's insane that Abaji shot six of seven from three, but more than that, it's like he was kind of just shooting target practice because we weren't closing out hard. We were, you know, losing men uh, or like our assignments to us in that time where, you know, a, calming presence like Moore could have, you know, pulled the ball out on a few possessions, gotten good shots down low. Um, he probably would have guarded Abaji. So like hit that would have been a, a huge difference. I thought um, the fact that we were playing from behind in that game was a huge problem. I think a huge reason why we're so successful is that we can build leads early by getting fouled, by making free throws, by, um, you know, tr trying to run the clock down, uh, you know, to the last few seconds and, and getting good shots um, to dictate the pace, considering we're one of uh, the slowest offenses pace-wise in the country. Um, we had been able to do that throughout the tournament uh, because the leads that we had we had drawn early, but going down 10-0, we just had to play faster than we wanted to, and I thought that led to a lot of rushed threes um, offensively and not quite enough help outside of Colin doing Colin's thing. He did have uh, 17 points, so I think he obviously showed up, but we just needed more from guys in the backcourt. Jermaine had an incredible tournament, but that wasn't his best showing in the Final Four. Um, and the fact that everyone's roles kind of had to change so late in the season, I thought was a direct corollary to losing uh, more against Houston. But it was pretty disappointing uh, to see Brian Antoine's performance. Um, Man, I, I can't really think – like, I hate to bring this up and kind of dampen the mood, but I can't think of a larger bust uh, in the history of, like, Illinois basketball than Brian Antoine. I mean, he's the highest-rated recruit we've ever gotten, five-star guy, uh, and just never 
I guess, has been given or, you know, he's had chances. He's had times to prove himself. But for whatever reason, I thought, you know, he was a big reason why Kansas was able to hold their lead for a lot of that lot of minutes. I think he played over 20 and he was just getting completely exploited defensively, losing his man in coverage. He's not strong, so he was able to be pushed around by a lot of Kansas' bigger guards. And I thought that, um, you know, whatever we'd be able to come within, you know, five to six points, I think six was the smallest we ever got. Um, it would always kind of be negated by a, uh, you know, Kansas three or a Kansas foul. Um, <clears throat> that kind of was drawn back to, to Antoine losing his composure um, and poise offensively and defensively. So it, it sucks for him. I think he might transfer because uh, it's obviously not working out here. Um, it was tough. I, I uh, was very frustrated with him during the game and the fan, I thought, um, you know, he, he could have a game. Um, wasn't, uh, you know, playing super well in the, t- in the tournament. Uh, he was only averaging 12.3 points and only scored five against Providence in the Sweet 16. Um, he was the Big 12 player of the year, first-team All-American, averaged 18.9 points per game during the regular season. So he's the kind of guy, you know, as we saw, that that is able to lead a team to a championship. Um, you know, the fact that he made – uh, four threes uh, in the first like 10 minutes of the game was just ridiculous to me. Um, and I thought that that was kind of the nail in the coffin, but you no know, credit to him for, for being so composed in that moment. I thought a lot of the threes that he hit um, were, were pretty much wide open and, and it almost looked like they weren't even touching the net. Um, you know, a huge stat, I think that kind of draws back to why we lost was um you know, during the regular season, we allowed more than 80 points uh, in just five games. Um, but in those games, we went two and three, um, obviously not not controlling the tempo. The Jayhawks scored 81 points and shot over 52 percent from the field, um, 13 of 24 from three. So, I mean, that that's that's pretty much um, uh, shows that we weren't able to close out and that their offense was pretty much unstoppable in that moment. Um, credit to Bill Self, I think that was a huge win for his legacy uh, in terms of being up there uh, with the best coaches, with the Coach K's, the Roy Williams, I think. Number two means a lot more uh, in terms of championships because it takes the fluke aspect out of it. Um, and I thought that, uh, you know, beating Villanova as handily as they did, I thought was a big reason why they were able to have the confidence to close the whole thing out. So, yeah, that's kind of my, like, jumble of thoughts in the game. Yeah, I mean, I – I'll, I'll add a couple of things. I mean, I, I agree with what you said, Sparna, and, and thinking back on it, some of the – yeah, when, when we're not dictating a tempo, it's it's really tough. And that was something I was worried about against a potential Arizona contender, which we never ended up having to do that. Um, and Houston naturally just plays slower as well. Um, but more – and part of a function of why there were more possessions is because Kansas just wasn't missing shots. Um, I feel like – defensively we were just like disorganized at times especially in like transition moments which led to some open threes and I mean they, they, they shot better from three than they did from two in the game um and I, I think some of that is a little bit uncharacteristic shooting but yeah overall I mean bringing it back to Brian Antoine I, I, he just needs um I mean he looks com- he looks much better than he did in terms of just confidence wise like it looks like he's he can like he's he's supposed to be there I guess I mean the, the output's not there and he's not playing well but it's it's better than i think it was I, he just i feel like he just needs to change pace like so some new scenery 
Um, I, I mean, I, I know it's been floated around quite a bit for him to, to transfer back and he'd be a, um, an ideal candidate to, to transfer to maybe a mid-major school, get, you know, I mean, I think Jay's built up his confidence quite a bit, but be able to get some more play time against lower level competition, not have the spotlight on him quite as much and just be able to get a speed under him offensively and defensively to some extent as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess looking at the next year, definitely got some holes to fill, but I do think Antoine, um, it would be best for him to, to potentially move on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you guys. There's what you guys are saying there and I'm, I won't bother repeating it. So maybe we could look in deeper to, you know, what we have left on the roster with Jermaine and Colin gone um, and how we look for next year. I mean, I hope that Justin Moore can be back by the season starts. I know the Achilles can be such a devastating injury for a basketball career, but um, assuming that he is back, um, you know, we still have him at the guard position um, and we'll have Dixon back. I'm assuming Slater will be back. Um, but as far as, you know, someone taking on that, that uh, tradition of a guard uh, that Colin will be, uh, his shoes will be left. I, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll have Caleb Daniels back too, which was really good, but um, I'm hoping to see something out of uh, Angelo Brizzy. Uh, he seems to have a good attitude going forward. Trey Patterson, you know, like I would have liked to see him have a few more chances this year. Um, but as far as Brian goes, clearly I, I, it's got to be a confidence thing. I mean, I don't know what else to say. He's got the talent. Um, I mean, the size and the injuries have always been a challenge for his career, but, but love to see him, you know, turn it around in the, in the back, back half of his career here. But I understand if he, you know, feeling with the way we're in somewhere else. I hope it's not somewhere in the Big East because, you know, if he actually did get the chance to lead a team like, uh, you know, like a Creighton would love to have him or Seton Hall or something like that, um, where he's, he's kind of got a starting role. I, I wouldn't want to see him with that because I think that would give him the confidence that he needs. And the problem with Villanova is we can't let him have that starting role because um, he hasn't shown that he can do that. And so uh, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out, but I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on, you know, how our roster looks for next year. We got some good recruits coming in. Seems to be that, um, you know, it's just because, you know, for recruitment uh, purposes, um, you know, young players get to see, oh, this is a team that consistently makes it far in the tournament. It's good to see a lot of recruits coming in and, you know, I'm curious to see, what what you guys think our uh, our team is going to look like next year? Ton different. I think whenever you lose a guy like Colin, he was the engine. He was the heart of the team, and I think it's just going to be a new identity next year. Um, obviously, Justin Moore is more than capable of you know filling in those shoes in the backcourt based on you know his career numbers. But I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't come back until Bay's play, uh, just because I know that this happened so late in the season and, and that Achilles injuries are not something that you want to rush back. You want to make sure that, that there's no chance of a re-aggravation. Um, in terms of Trey Patterson and the guys that are going to have larger roles next year, a great thing about Jay Wright is that he trusts his guys. You know, he, you'll, he'll play his guys like Colin and Justin, Jermaine, you know, 35 plus minutes a game. Um, 
but that also sucks for guys like Antoine who can't get a, a uh, offensive rhythm because of the fact that they're not playing like a lot of when that that's not, not the case for, for Trey Patterson. I think he's had a kind of a like mystifying career up to this point, like also a ext- extremely highly rated recruit, you know, a uh, four-star guy uh, was with him even in school. So he, that, uh, um, than he did, especially in the Big East tournament. So um, I would expect Longino uh, to, you know, possibly not start just because we'll have Caleb Daniels and Brandon Slater back, I would assume. Um, but, you know, he'll be the first guy off the bench, I think, over Trey Patterson in that, like, hybrid hybrid forward role. Um, at the guard spot, in terms of replacing Colin, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, for one, if we don't, get a transfer which by the way we are in the market for for uh, multiple big time transfers um the first guy was Jalen uh, Llewellyn who ended up just yesterday committing to Clemson so he's off the market but Courtney Ramey from Texas uh was was uh, recruited by Jay Wright chose Texas with the back when Shaka Smart was the head coach he's now a grad transfer uh looking to move teams and I think we could be a good fit for him just because of, you know, Jared's track record um, and our point guard vacancy. Um, but assuming that we don't get him, I would say, you know, I would have more confidence in uh, Mark Armstrong than I would in Angelo Brizzy, just because I, I've watched Angelo uh, Brizzy play before and, you know, he doesn't really inspire a lot from me. I think the comparisons to, to Colin, it's it's hard to, like, do that at this point just because the only other point guard I can remember matching, uh, you know, Con's impact on the program would be Kyle Lowry and uh, Jalen Brunson. So it's just a crazy bar for him to have to you know meet. Um, but I am just so stoked for Cam Whitmore. I, I, I think he's going to be one of the best uh, you know instant impact players we've ever had. You know, like you think about guys like Mikal Bridges, like Justin Moore. They didn't get their starring roles until their sophomore years. Um, but I think, you know, Whitmore has the frame right now where he's coming in ready to contribute. He's six, seven, um, very built and like physically strong to, you know, with hand or withstand, uh, the, the trials and uh, tribulations of an, an entire like conference calendar. And I think, um, especially with Jermaine, uh, moving on, I think he will be the immediate starting small forward, um, assuming that Justin Moore isn't back by the start of the season. I would probably put Mark Armstrong at point guard, um, Caleb Daniels at the two, um, Whitmore at the three, Dixon at the five, um, and then maybe Trey Pat at the four. Like I, there, there's, there's a lot of flexibility uh, to be had there just because of the amount of guys that I think are going to get like actual looks for big minutes. And it's going to come down uh, to how they perform in the regular season. But um yeah, I think we're in a good spot. Like, like I think we're not unnecessarily rebuilding uh, just because of the fact we're only, you know, losing two players, even though they were incredibly important. We still have a lot of talent that's been there before. Um, but it's for sure like a retool to where finding that same chemistry and consistency that Colin more often than not was responsible for is going to take time and I think um, might result in us not being – the immediate dominant Big East team that we've always been, um, especially with the fact that, you know, Creighton, just a quick aside, I think Creighton is going to be one of the five best teams in all of college basketball next season. I, I love 
their roster. Um, Ryan Nemhard at point guard, Colt Brenner, you know, Trey Alexander. I just think they have so much depth and experience that this is going to be the year, especially with Colin leaving, uh, for them to like stake their claim as the class of the Big East, uh, at least for this next season. But I think um, the tools are there for us, at least, uh, you know, to be like immediately competitive next year as well, regardless of whether Justin's healthy or not to start. Yeah, we just got a lot of guys that are like right between six eight and six two, like a ton of dudes, like almost the entire roster, honestly, because Eric Dixon likes to say. But yeah, I don't I think we're gonna have trouble dealing with teams of size again. I mean, entering the transfer market is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, we we haven't had a ton of transfers overall ever. I mean, in the program, Jay, Jay's generally hasn't been a huge fan of that, but getting a a genuine point guard would be kind of a cool addition. Although I have to think Chris Arch is probably up there on Jay Wright's list of, of guys he wants to start. You know, Chris Arch is 6'5". Did not know that. He's, that's taller than I thought. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see kind of where the guys like Trey Patterson, Jordan Lund, you know, and the freshmen kind of how they can make progression over the summer to make an impact on the team. I think the rotation can definitely go deeper this year than it was. It can go deeper next year than it was this year assuming Jay is willing to play more players. I mean, it's going to be a much younger team or a much younger weighted team, I guess. There's not going to be as many. There's still going to be the older players like Brandon Slater and Caleb Daniels, assuming they stay. Um, But it's still going to be a lot of young guys picking up a lot of those minutes. So it's going to be interesting to see how Jay Wright assigns the minutes, especially with Justin Moore likely missing much of the beginning of the season. Um, But very interested to see if, if the freshmen actually do get significant playing time, which is, has not been a and a, a favorite of, of Jay Wright's over the past couple of years. For sure. Yeah, interesting. It'll be interesting to see what Jay does with Chris because he has had so much experience this year and uh, obviously had to step up in the biggest game of the season uh, in the Final Four. So just the fact that he's been there and done that, perhaps he would trust him in a starting role. Um, and it's later to, to, you know, really take over the team. And I think he's capable of having a breakout year and, you know, trying to make, make a bid towards getting to the next league. But um, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he tries to fill that guard position with Colin. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, did you guys want to talk anything about the other games in the Final Four? I'll hand that over to you, Andrew, if you want to talk about the uh, the great Duke versus UNC, much-anticipated matchup. Um, it did not disappoint. Um, I'll let you take it away there. Yeah, well, like probably the best college basketball game I've ever seen. Um, regardless of the storylines, like you can't script up a better game in that sense. Um, there's like no need to go into that. We all know that that's the first time that they met ever in Coach K's last year. but um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, you, you think about your stars showing up in the biggest moments, like Caleb Love is just an absolute lightning rod of, of, of like game until like the four minute mark of the first half. Um, he went into halftime with six points, um, and 04 from three. So complete non-factor, uh, in the first half when Duke was, was up by three, um, but then, you know, just outside of the, of the first half and that second half, he had a pair of threes early. Um, and then he went on to finish with 28 points um, with 11 of 20 from the field. 
Um, and he also made that iconic three with, with uh, 28 seconds left on the clock. Like that, that has a case of being like the most iconic shot in the history of North Carolina basketball, regardless of whether they, they didn't win the championship or like whatever that shot sent their art, their greatest arch rival, like in, of one of the greatest rivalries in all of sports into, into retirement. Um, like he, he retired coach K with that shot. Um, you know, he made his free throws down the stretch. Armando Baycott was incredible. He had 21 rebounds at 11 points, like literally one of the best rebounders I've watched in uh, college basketball. Um, what, I, what I loved about this game is like, yes, there was obvious NBA talent all over Duke. You know, you look, like you look at Ben Caro, uh, you know, AJ Griffin, Wendell Moore, Mark Williams, all four of those guys could easily be first round picks in this upcoming draft. UNC maybe doesn't have a single draft pick on their roster and it didn't matter. They, they, they played throwback basketball. They, they wanted it more. Um, they were hustling stronger. Um, you know, Brady Manick was just making every shot he put up. It seemed like um, I, I just thought it was like one of the best games I've ever seen um, on a college basketball court. Um, and even though, you know, I, I also, I personally hate Duke. I think coach K is, an asshole. I think he's an, a narcissistic coach uh, that, um, you know, obviously has a case of being the best college basketball coach of all time. But um, I just think he's a like a. There's no need to go into that. But I, you know, he he did like when when Mark Williams missed those two free throws at the end of the game that could have potentially I think either tied it up or put Duke up by one like. Coach K just completely lost, you know, his, he, he, he threw him out of the bus in the uh, post game. Um, so I was not sad that uh, Duke lost for those reasons. Um, Trevor Keels, I just forgot like another pro on that roster. He had 19 points off the bench. Um, so it was more of a, his game than it was, you know, Ben Caro or, or uh, Mark Williams. But um, I thought it was lived up to any hype that there was before. And I, you know, think if like you're looking back on, you know, the defining college, basketball games of this era that that's going to be one of them so yeah that's kind of my thought yeah we've had two back-to-back years where the final four game on the left side of the bracket has just been fantastic you know last year with the, the Gonzaga UCLA game and this year with UNC Duke um and yeah I mean the the talent disparity I think is true but I mean this UNC team is just kind of you have a bunch of different guys who can perform on any given night I mean there's Brady Manic, um you know at some points in the tournament and then you know, with Caleb Love here, RJ Davis had some good games. I mean, he had 18 in this game. But, I mean, you look at Caleb Love, a guy who's sophomore now, was, was you know, written in to be a uh, one-and-done guy when he entered UNC and has, has, you know, stayed on after, you know, with Huber Davis arriving uh, as coach and, you know, not having a great shooting game, at least from three, and, and being able to hit that one at the end was, was huge. And, I mean, the, there was a 10 – 10 rebound disparity between the two teams. I mean, Armando, Armando Baycott had eight offensive rebounds on his own, um, which is just insane. Uh, and just add, certainly added a lot to a lot of possessions to the game for UNC. Um, and, and, and the game was, you know, razor thin margins, but I think you got to give a lot of credit to the UNC guys and also Hubert Davis for being his first year and being able to rally these guys, a, a team with like, you know, you got Brady Manning transfer, Caleb Love sophomore, Armando Baycott, 
but it's, it's not like a bunch of, you know, I mean, it's talent, but it's not, it's kind of a weird composition of, of players and be able to bring this team to the brink of a championship is impressive and, and be able to beat Duke twice in back-to-back games once in their own arena to, uh, I mean, it's just, I, I'm not as, you know, against Duke as to do, but it's, it's not, it's just so such a storybook, you know, way for a rivalry to, to go for UNC to beat Duke back-to-back times too. Uh, succinctly in Coach K's career. Um, just credit, uh, I would say, to, to like Hubert Davis, like North Carolina for a good part of this season, like was not a lock to make the NCAA tournament. Um, they, had to get, they, they had to get hot down the stretch. That game against Duke where they won in Cameron was like that quintessential win that they needed to like strengthen their case to be in the tournament. Um, and then obviously when they like made a run in the ACC tournament, that helped as well. But um, I just love the fact that when you when you look at both rosters on paper, like yeah, there's like a lot of talent on both sides, but Duke Duke is Duke at this point Duke is is nothing different than Kentucky. Like they get they get you know fifth year senior transfers on the market and then fill the rest of their roster up with the top of the top recruits that stay for one season and leave. I, and I, I I personally love college basketball more than I do the NBA, so seen a team like North Carolina that's constructed around guys that have stayed and, um, you know, kind of ingratiated themselves in their team's culture. Like Armando Baycott's a junior, uh, Caleb Lowe's a sophomore. Those are their best two players. Brady Manick transfer, but the point stands. Puff Johnson was this, was this, was the star against Kansas. And he's a junior. Um, so I, I love that way of coaching. I, I love that way of team building, um, and I thought for them to do it back-to-back against a team uh, with probably the most talented roster in college basketball um, was just a win for, for the guys that, you know, still do it the right way, in my opinion, and, and who still uh, recruit players and um, guys that are there for the college and not just um, as, a, as a way to get to the NBA um, as fast as possible. Um, Awesome, awesome game there. Um, I'll look back on that as one of the, you know, the more fun college basketball games that I've ever seen, like I said. Um, yeah, I, I wish that we would have had a shot um, to play in the championship game, but just to kind of wrap up the discussion around that Final Four, like Jay Wright is one of the greatest college basketball coaches ever, and he's only been to five Final Fours. Um, and for us to, like, be a part of one um, – is a thing that I'm going to be able to like always have um, as a college basketball fan. And um, I think it, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky as students to, to have been a part of a run like that, even if we did lose one of our best players and had that, you know, gut wrenching kind of performance against Kansas. I thought it was pretty much an ideal March madness. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't wait for next year already. Yeah, I might just add a, a little take to uh, the other side of the bracket because I haven't yet, but uh, just just to reiterate kind of what you guys were saying, more on the shot by Caleb Love. Caleb Love. Um, the shot clock wasn't going down. Um, it wasn't an open shot, if I remember correctly. It was a little deep, and just the fact that he pulled that it was, you know, just so telling of you know, his potential as an NBA player. Um, we're always waiting to see what these players will do on the final stage, but um, you know that that was just so impressive. And more on what you were saying, Noah. Putting 
putting Coach K to bed like that, it, it makes you want to think like maybe he'll try to pull a Tom Brady and come out of retirement, but I know he won't. Um, but it, it feels like, I mean, all of the great coaches, players who have made it to that level of success have to be competitive, right? I mean, you have to be competitive uh, in your heart to just make it there. But, um, and so he must just be grinding his teeth every night, losing to UNC twice to end his career. Um, and it'll make him hard. It'll make it hard for him to uh, look back at all of the success he did have. I don't know. That, that's my take on that. But to agree with you, Andrew, um, such a such a privilege to be able to experience a Final Four run um, and a, a Big East tournament championship. Um, we should have won the Big East regular season, but I'll let that one go. Um, but it's it's been awesome. The the campus has been lively. Um, and that was just so cool to experience. Yeah, um, great points again. Uh, I think uh, what was kind of telling as to the programs that consistently get to the Final Four, um, like the day after or the week after uh, the game, I was walking in Bartley, our business school, and I just saw Jay Wright hanging out at, at like at uh, Holy Grounds on the first floor, just talking to students. Like Coach K doesn't do that. Coach K doesn't. He's 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 too good for that. He's he's the fact that we kind of have that as our coach that he's able to come and spend time with just regular students. I think is just a, like a great illustration of the attractiveness of coming to Villanova and like being a player. Like who wouldn't want to play for a guy like Jay Wright? Um, so I guess moving on to that, we can maybe start with the NBA plan. Uh, the NBA playoffs um, are on the way. Um, you know, I, I'm super excited uh, for it. Um, I think it's going to be one of the best playoffs that we've ever seen. Um, you know, just just from the storylines, the Ben Simmons, the Sixers. Um, so I think that, that that's a big thing. Uh, I guess we can talk about the playing games and we can start off with the first game of the night. Um, which was uh, the Nets and the and the uh, Cavs. Um, where should we start here, guys? Uh, maybe with, with just the fact that Kyrie didn't miss in the first half. Um, that knowing that the Nets are going to have to play against uh, the Celtics, I was talking to Swan about this before we got on there, but th that's scary. I mean, him and Durant, I think, combined for one miss in the first half, if I had that right. Um, and so, obviously, they're just on another level there. We can get into more about their matchup against the Celtics later, but um, I think we expected them to show up the way they did, but uh, they seem very locked in. Yeah, I think the way the game, like, progressed was, like, kind of symptomatic of of the, the, the talent level on the Nets and kind of how a potential series between them and the Celtics could go is because, I mean, without Jared Allen, the Cavs kind of are – it definitely just not a complete team. Um, they have enough shooting, especially with Kevin Love, to be able to like kind of space out the floor around Darius Garland. But then that team's just not playing defense or stopping anybody. Um, I mean, they're playing Lori Marketing against Kevin Durant, like, and just double teaming and then just dump offs every time. And they still couldn't put the Cavs away. Like, I, I, I just don't know if the if the Nets can't put away the Cavs in a game like that. Then I just don't know how they're going to be able to do that consistently against the Celtics. 
um, against a team that's with much more talent um, with two players who are probably better than any player on the Cavs. Um, I, it's just going to take a Herculean performance from both Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving um, in a series with the Celtics. But it, it's, I just don't think there's enough on the, on the team this year. I, I don't know, especially if, if Kevin Durant and Kyrie are playing consistently 40-plus minutes. Like, uh, I, we'll see. It's just such a, it's an unjustly good first-round series between the Nets and Celtics. But um, Cleveland's definitely a team to watch down the road a couple of years. Uh, they, they, I mean, such a young, talented roster. And Kevin Love really came in to, to help the team out, for sure. It's like a six-man this year. Um, but, so they, they, I mean, they're probably – they're going to play winner of Atlanta versus Charlotte and could still make the playoffs. But um, this is, you know, I think Brooklyn is going to – I'm interested to see kind of how, how they play against the Celtics in round one. Yeah, I uh, just, just to add on to that, Kyrie played like a perfect game. It almost felt like he didn't miss the entire – the entire game, uh, I think, you know, I expected them to win this game. I thought the role Kevin Durant played in the game was pretty interesting because when the Cavs would uh, double team him a lot, he played the role of the facilitator and like making the right pass instead of forcing perimeter jump shots, which I thought is a good omen, I guess, for the rest of the Nets playoffs chances if in a winner go home game. Kevin Durant is comfortable kind of being uh, that, that like facilitator. Um, I, I think like just the, taking the game as it is, you know, like, it, like it was after the first quarter, it was 40 to 20 nets. And I thought the fact that the, that the Cavs were able to hang around and that they could never take their starters out of the game and that they got it down to like eight or whatever it was um, at the end of the game is indicative of a bigger problem that the nets have of not having the, the the defensive stoppers to put teams away and to not let them come back and hang around um, on the offensive end. I think Ben Simmons can be that player. Obviously, we all know he can. He's has a case when he's on the court of being the best defensive player in basketball. Um, but, you know, there's just – there's a lot of – obviously, there's a lot of um, unknowns on what it's going to be like when Ben Simmons takes the court again. Um, for one, if he, if he does come back – the chemistry that the Nets have kind of just now uh, been, been establishing um, would kind of be messed up. I think Ben Simmons would almost play, in my opinion, the Bruce Brown role to where he would be a rim runner, um, small ball power forward, where he would not be tasked with any offensive playmaking um, and would more so just be like a defensive piece. Um, he would obviously guard the other team's best player and then be kind of a roller or like dunk guy, which I think is underselling his, his, uh, his skill set. But at this point in the season, they can't afford to saddle him with much playmaking ability, considering that he hasn't played basketball in over a year. Um, when you're thinking about Cavs uh, or not Cavs, that Celtics in the first round, obviously you, you, you put a great Noah in that. They don't, neither of those teams deserve to play a team of that caliber in the first round. Um, but it just speaks to the strength of the East that that's the matchup. Um, I'm, I'm going either way here because on the one hand, I, I, the Celtics in basically every facet of the game outside of maybe like the closing one minute fourth quarter tie game um, are the better team. Uh, defensively, they're, they have an argument of being the best defensive team in basketball. Uh, when they're all healthy, obviously Rob Williams is out, but he's only one player. There's a lot of things that go into that. Um, 
Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have a at least seat at the table of the best uh, one-two pairing in basketball. Um, you know, they've gotten good contributions from role players like Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, Derek White has been awesome off the bench, even though he's not like a, a great three-point shooter. Um, you know, rational wisdom would 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 lead me to say that they that they are the clear favorites in this series. But I can't help but think like I don't see any of these games being blowouts. Like I don't think that the Celtics are going to kick the doors off of Brooklyn in the first. Like they're all going to come down, I think, to the fourth quarter. And if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, two of the best, you know, closers in the history of of, of basketball, like all bets are off in that situation. Um, and I think like. Um, a big reason is like if you strip the Nets roster down to everything and you take into account all of their defensive flaws, um, you know, their lack of offensive creativity, their lack of depth, you're left with Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving, which is a pretty amazing place to start. Um, so I, I keep trying to convince myself that either of those, either team can win the series. I do think it's going to be Boston in six or seven. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if KD finds that, you know, fourth gear that he always seems to find um, and just takes over games. So that game I thought against Cleveland, Cleveland, by the way, I think it's an interesting case because I actually think they can beat Miami. I, I think they can beat Miami in seven because when they have Jared Allen on the court, they are an entirely different basketball team. I think they're about six to seven games under 500 on the season without Jared Allen and, you know, one of the top five teams in the East with him. Um, Miami, I think, is a pretty fraudulent one seed, just considering the fact that I don't believe in Jimmy Butler. I think he's not, um, like, regardless of my personal feelings about him, I think that he's not good enough to be a number one option on a, a championship team, let alone a one seed. And I think the Cavs, if they get Jared Allen back, will be one of the tougher, you know, eight seeds that we've seen recently. Um but that's my take on, on on the first two. I think Darius Garland and Evan Mobley gave gave the Nets all they could handle down the stretch, and um, I think it's going to be a fun uh, first round based on that matchup. Do we want to move on to uh, your Minnesota Timberwolves, Andrew? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I went uh, to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings to watch this game, and it was like one of the best nights of the year. <laughs> it was awesome. I. Uh, I'm a huge Timberwolves fan, um, always have been. Uh, and, you know, it goes without saying that we haven't been a good basketball team for the last 15 seasons. Um, I saw this, this like image of our starting lineup like six years ago or eight to 10 years ago. And it was, it was like Andre Kirilenko, Alexi Shved, Luke Ridnauer, Nikola Pekovic, and like Kevin Love. And to see our team now, like with the stars we have on both sides of the ball, just inspires so much like joy in me. Like that win last night basically was like I throughout the course of the game, I, I thought we, we were just going to roll over and lose. You know, we outside of the first five minutes of the game, we were basically playing catch up the whole time against the team that made uh, the Western Conference finals last year. Um, and I was worried. I like, even though we're the, you know, the higher seed, I thought Paul George and uh, Reggie Jackson were getting whatever they wanted offensively. Um, and I thought we were done. Cat 
looked like he was completely flustered, which he was. He only had like 11 points, shot three of 11 from the field. Um, but it didn't matter ultimately. Anthony Edwards is a superstar. Um, this is hard to quantify, but I, for me, it's like every team that I take seriously as a legitimate contender needs to have like that guy on their team that you can just point to and be like, if all else fails, you know, this guy can, can push us to the next round on his sheer will of, of, of effort and talent. Um, obviously like you, you like think about guys like Kawhi Leonard, um, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. And I'm not saying Anthony Edwards is anywhere near the caliber of, of those players right now, but if it, tonight showed that he has the potential to be for that role of featured number one option on a good team is not over his head. He, he had 30 points. He's 20 years old in a, in a winner go home game um, against a much more ex- experienced team. And I thought the offensive slack that him and uh, D'Angelo Russell were able to pick up, like they combined for 59 or 58 points on the game was pretty incredible. Um, you know, they shot extremely well from, from the outside. Um, but more so than not, they kept us in it when we were falling, like we were down by 10 points and, in the middle half of the third quarter and we ended up winning the game by five without cat after he fouled out in the late third quarter. Um, incredible moment for the city of uh, Minneapolis. Like I know people were given uh, the T wolves and our fans grief about how hard we celebrated, but um, you know, it, it just, it means that much uh, for us to, to even have a seat in the, in the playoff table. Um, and I thought, you know, we just like showed up when, when, when we needed to. And I think it's almost, it, it was the perfect game because we showed that like we can beat, you know, playoff caliber teams in a playoff environment without our best player playing well at all, like at all. So if, if Cat comes back against Memphis, which I expect he will and, and, and play like his all-star self, like that completely changes the, 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 the dynamic and like hints at the potential for us to have a like even better game than we played against uh, the Clippers. And obviously we can talk about Pat Bev as well. Um, but, you know, it was an awesome game. And I, um, that, that was all like, but yes, like the plan works to where if we had lost, we would have had to play the winner of San Antonio and uh, um, the Pelicans, which if we had won that, we would have played the Suns, but being able to, to play Memphis, I am in that series that we're playing the Grizzlies than 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 Phoenix. So um, it was an unbelievable night, an unbelievable game, uh, and yeah, it was the the first night in about eight years that that you went to bed feeling glad that I that I, you were a a Timberwolves fan. So that's that's my long spiel on it. But I'm also curious as to what you guys thought. Yeah, credit to Chris Bench for. Um certainly getting the most out of the talent that's on the roster. Um, and it's kind of, I think Timberwolves in a weird place um, right now with kind of the way the roster is constructed. And I mean, they're still only the seventh best team with Cat, who's kind of in his prime. It, it, it's kind of a weird situation there right now with a coach who's almost entirely unproven after hiring him off of Toronto staff and, you know, credit to them for leveraging, getting the most out of their talent, the highest points per game total of the entire league this year. Even though the defense is, I mean, you know, we don't talk about the defense, but when you have a guy like Anthony Edwards who can score 30 points in a 
de facto must win game. I mean, I, that's like, you know, not a lot of teams have that. So I just two, two scores on the team that are just, you know, pretty lethal in, in Anthony Edwards and, and Carl Anthony Towns in, in different ways is are just a great foundation for a team. And if the fr- front office can, can figure out how to at play around with the roster a little bit and, and potentially then get some luck in the, in the draft, then I think this team has a, has a bright future. Uh, I'll be interested to see how they play against Memphis, but um, credit to them for, you know, getting through this game against a, a Clippers team that for most of the year has been, has been missing Paul George and Norm Powell with their two top scores and had them both back. It's so our kind of, kind of, you know, ready to, to win this game and, and being able to, to win a, a gritty game, I think is a, is a good, good step for the Timberwolves. Uh, yeah, just quickly off that as well, two things. One is at full strength, the Clippers like might have the best roster in the in the NBA. Like you think about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, um, two two superstar players. But the trade that brought them back, Norman Powell and uh, Robert Covington, I think is going to pay a ton of the dividends next season once they have Kawhi back healthy. Like Norman Powell, I think is perfectly suited to be that like complimentary star that plays his role super well and and, and can shoulder a lot of like the playmaking load on nights that you know Kawhi Leonard's not playing his best um but more so about the Timberwolves like Chris Finch is the best coach we've had in like forever I think he's one of the more underrated coaches in the NBA like yes we have a lot of talent but he's completely changed our defensive attitude and like system to where like we're now a top 15 team defensively from when we've been a bottom you know 10 team in that area for the last eight to nine seasons. Um, I think he deserves a ton of credit for putting players in positions to succeed in that way. I think, you know, it just shows he's come from places like, you know, Denver with uh, Nikola Jokic, um, you know, on teams that are like dominated by a star big man. And he's found ways to put them in positions to succeed. I think he runs the offense through Cat um, and lets Cat kind of be that like dominant player. Um, on on the offensive end is with, with a high usage rate, which has really helped uh, develop Anthony Edwards as more of a complimentary star to Cat, not you know forcing him to take on too much of the load to begin with. Um, but also to our GM, I think like when you look back to our past couple drafts, like we we've hit like on a lot of key um, key contributors. Uh, you think about um, you know Gina McDaniel's uh, was a back end of the first round pick um in 2020 and he is a rotation mainstay like you know sixth seventh man um obviously anthony edwards um but you know the more you think about um what chris has been able to do uh with the talent he's been given i think it just shows that regardless of how the series goes against memphis like we could get swept and i wouldn't really care just because we're in the playoffs we've taken that step to where like we're a young team that now has made the playoffs and like moving forward, we'll expect to be back in the playoffs. And I think when you have a young core like we do where, you know, Cat's 25 years old, um, Anthony Evers is 20, DeAndre Russell's 25, this core could be in place for another four to five years. Um, and, you know, after this season, it's now – the goal has now moved on from making the playoffs to making a run in the playoffs. And I think, you know, if we continue to add – veterans around those stars uh, that kind of complement their games. Well, uh, Tori and Prince is a good example. Um, you know, we'll be in a good spot. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just add a couple points here. Uh, one on Patrick Beverly and the other on just the reaction to the whole 
tournament in general. Um, so I, I just thought Patrick Beverly brought, you know, that spark that they needed from uh, on defense and playing against his former team of four years. And, um, you know, it, it was great to see that at Passion. He got a technical foul, I think, in the second half. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's the type of thing that you get in the zone. Reminds me of Marcus Smart, the way, you know, he breaks the energy on defense. And that those are the intangibles that carry the momentum forward. Um, and then as far as the playing tournament goes and, you know, um, the criticism that the T-Wolves got over the reaction to making it uh, into the playoffs, I, I agree with you, Andrew. I think that, you know, there is no standard yet for uh, to someone winning the play-in tournament. Like, it's, it's so important to realize, like, this is, like, their championship. Everyone's like, oh, they're acting like they won the championship. Well, it kind of is. Like, this is what they've been building for the for the whole time. And this is exactly why we reinstated or we instated the playing tournament in the first place is to create these situations of excitement and um, and you know purpose to, towards um, making the playoffs be an achievement in itself. And I think that um, you know you saw if, if you're annoyed by the joy that uh minnesota got to experience last night you're just you're just not appreciating joy yeah i don't i don't know what to say but i think it's great and it's it's great to see the passion from the fan base and from the players uh but yeah uh just one more note on that like looking forward to a potential matchup with memphis like like we're two and two in the season Memphis has won both games at home for them john morant's only averaged 20 points in those games which doesn't seem like it's little but it you know in comparison to his season average it's it's less uh the key i think in that series is going to come down to d'angelo russell um he averages 31 points on the season against memphis um you know what you're going to get from cat to a certain extent i think last night was a bit of an outlier in terms of his performance all year but if d'angelo russell can give us 20 to 25 points every night I think we are going to be able to be in a position to, to take two games and maybe even push the series to six or seven games here. So um, it's going to be fun to watch, man. I'm super excited. Uh, I guess with that being said, um, is there anything else that you guys want to touch on in terms of sports going on? I know baseball's back. Not a lot to talk about there just because it's still, you know, only like a weekend of the season. Um, but the NFL draft, I guess, is uh, coming up. Uh, um, if you guys have any way of accessing this, like I wrote a mock draft um, a week ago about, you know, with the new picks based on teams, his free agent decisions and whatnot. So feel free to give that a read if you're able to find that. I think it's posted on the website um, for our club. But um, I'm super excited for for the NFL draft every year I am. Um, you know, this year it's going to be pretty awesome considering there's not like a consensus number one quarterback. Um, so the top of the draft is still like super murky and, you know, a lot can happen in that way. So I, uh, I'm i looking forward to seeing um, how that changes teams and, and, and what happens there. But that's all I can really, uh, you know, think of besides, besides what we've already talked about. And I think we went into depth on some – really interesting uh, topics in the sport of basketball professional and in college and 
I'm excited to see where the playing tournament will take us. Uh, there's a game going on right now, but, uh, you know, this is an exciting time of the year. Uh, exciting playoffs, as you said, that could be one of the most exciting. Just a quick question for you guys. Do you like, do you like the plan as a concept? I like for the, for the reasons that I mentioned before, I like it because it gives, you know, a lot more excitement. Like, like you said, you went to Buffalo Wild Wings last night. Like it, it creates a game that everyone's kind of centered around. I know that's like the reason why they did it is they want eyeballs for money, but I like the idea of. Yeah, I'm. Um, I think I initially was against it, and I honestly can't remember why. Now, I, 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 I mean, I guess for like the number seven team, it's kind of like you get the number seven seed, but that was my point. You still have to play another game, but um, it does make the. I mean, it makes you know teams fighting for the ninth and tenth place like that a more competitive race and kind of you know positioning and also you know, fighting for the sixth seed. So there, there's different things to compete for and different, like kind of add some intrigue to the, the regular season that wasn't there before, um, which in a way I think is good. I also think it, it probably incentivized teams that don't deserve to be making the playoffs to try to get the 10 seed for no reason. Um, just to get like dumped out of the, dumped out of the plan, um, which is kind of an interesting wrinkle, but I, I mean, I think it, it, it definitely adds something. I, I don't know what it takes away necessarily other, unless you're like the seventh seed. Um, but yeah, that's probably my take. Uh, yeah, just just for my end, like the one downside is like we the, the T Wolves were twelve games better record wise than uh, than the Spurs, and the fact that there was a feasible uh, scenario where we would make the playoffs and they would, it's a bit tough to swallow in that way. But I also like the idea. Like, obviously, I love being able to like watch more competitive basketball and more like winner go home like circumstances but also it like prevents teams from tanking and i think like that's a big thing like teams not um you know just falling out out of the first eight seeds and then and then calling the season quits seems a lot more like reason um you know to be competitive to try to stay in the race to not you know bench guys or like shut guys down who have like like uh, lingering injuries um and so i like in that case i do like it i think um, even this year, uh, the, you know, with the Nets being in the playoffs, yeah. But it also gives a team like, you know, the Hawks. I think the Hawks, like, can give whoever they end up playing uh, this season major issues um, in the playoffs because they did it last year and they have the shot makers to, to cause problems. And I think having more playoff basketball as opposed to less is always bad. If, if that isn't uh, – I mean, that, that that seems to be it for me. I don't really know what else uh, we have to talk about. But, um, again, awesome season uh, for, for Villanova. Um, pretty awesome that we were able to make the Final Four. And, uh, you know, can't wait for next year. I think it's going to be an awesome time. And, you know, um, as always, go Cats.